0: As a community-based uh, show. We like to sometimes scour local publications, and that's how we got Ted Robinson. The paper in my neighborhood, the East Sar- Sacramento News, talked to Commander Robinson about his rescue of JFK back in World War II, and that led us to seek Ted out and had two fine chats with uh, with him about his experiences. And although this, uh, this show is broadcast uh, uh, on KDVS in Davis, home of... University of California at Davis, and uh, gets rebroadcast on KZFR up in Chico, another fine college town, home of the California State University, Chico. I must point out that both institutions lack something that they have over at CSUS, Sac State, which is a miniature Golden Gate Bridge. So I was kind of Pleased to see an article by Lance Armstrong in the East Sacramento News about the Guy A. West Memorial Bridge, as it's known. Knowing Mr. Armstrong, just about everyone in Sacramento is familiar with the orange gold-colored suspension bridge that spans the American River near Sac State, but not everyone knows the name of the structure or why it received the name. Turns out it was built in 1966 to link the campus with the then-new Campus College Community Development. The 1,140-foot-long, 16-foot-wide pedestrian bridge is officially known as the Guy A. West Memorial Bridge. It was built at a cost of $636,000 and was recognized as the longest pedestrian suspension bridge in the United States. Guy West was the founding president of Sacramento State College as the university was then known. And by the way, it needs to go back to being called Sacramento State University. This California State University, Sacramento, is ridiculous. There have been attempts to create a college in Sacramento back to the 1920s, but it wasn't until the summer of 1947, through the efforts of California State Senator Earl Desmond, that the legislature approved the establishment of such a school. Governor Earl Warren approved the future creation of the university by signing SB 1221. Guy West was appointed as as Sac State's first president. At first, the school rented structures at uh, Sacramento Junior College, today's Sac City College, back in 1947. After five years, it moved to its present location. During West's 18 years of leadership, Sac State expanded to include nearly 10,000 students from its initial enrollment of 235. Anyway, I am certainly grateful for the Guy West Memorial Bridge. I use it uh, on a weekly basis to go out on... uh, on the American River Bike Trail, one of the uh, the crown jewels, I think, of the, uh, the greater Sacramento area. And we're going to go on record here at uh, Radio Parallax as being in favor of more pedestrian suspension bridges. I know we're going out on a limb with that one, but doggone it, we're for them. And, speaking of Earl Warren, the October issue of Senior Magazine had a wonderful little uh, article about Earl Warren's son, Bob, who has collected a, a massive and wonderful... Uh, uh, assortment of p- political campaign material. It spans apparently 1864 to 2008. Things like I like Ike buttons, which my mom and dad used to have. The one I really like is that apparently Bob Warren has a as a, an actual Palm Beach County, Florida voting booth from 2000. You know what? We're going to have to to look up uh, Bob Warren and see if he'll show us his collection too. I would like to see one of those notorious butterfly ballots. Bob Warren, by the way, is an alumnus of UCD. And apparently as a collector of of such memorabilia, he joined the American Political Items Collectors, which reportedly has a nationwide membership of about 4,000 such collectors. Note of the article in Senior Magazine, one of the most unusual possessions is a hairbrush and Yardley gel used by JFK in preparation for his final debate with Nixon in 1960. Said Bob Warren, Senator Kennedy inadvertently left the items in his dressing room. My sister, who was married to John Daly, covering the debate for ABC, was given the items in an envelope and asked if she would take them to her home in Washington and a Kennedy aide would pick them up. Well, that never happened, and 30 years later, the envelope was found in my sister's basement. I guess with modern technology, if you could pluck one of JFK's hairs, you could clone him. Well, maybe not quite with today's technology, but give it a few years. About a month or two ago, uh, how long ago was it, Mr. Millen, About six weeks ago, we went over the news and review. Approximately. Yeah, we talked to our good friend Cosmo Garvin. We didn't get a chance to pack up and go over to the news and review for today's show, but we're going to do something, uh, which I guess is the next best thing. We have a liaison, a special designated liaison now to the news and review, who has a connection to KDVS. So, welcome back to the program, Tara Eschy.
1: That's Esh- close. Eschy.
0: Okay, Eshki.
1: Yeah, you got it. That's, that's it's
0: right. that sound that you get yeah. in the Middle East. That's hard for Americans.
1: Yeah, that's All it. Right. That's the one. All
0: right. Well, you are. You have the unique uh, qualifications of being a freelance writer over at the News and Review, and also a KDVSer.
1: That's true. That is true.
0: And plug your show while you're at it.
1: Oh yeah, our show is Mondays 2:30 to 4:30. It's called Aural Fixations. So you should listen to that.
0: I, I have, it's and good. I encourage everyone to do likewise. Well, let's talk about a little article they had about the regents, which was kind of provocative. They had the news and review.
1: Yeah, I think it was written by Peter Byrne. Yeah, Peter Byrne. I think Byrne. you're right.
0: He had some things to say about, I guess, Dianne Feinstein's husband.
1: Yeah, Regent Bloom. He's or one of the regents of the board. And they were talking about this other one, too, but it's basically about like how the university is being privatized, the funds, and what the consequences are for students. And one of the biggest consequences I think is the fact that there's no transparency when it comes to seeing where the money's coming from because there's no public record of like say a private equity loan, there's no public record of it.
0: It's kind of surprising stuff to think that something is, is so trans should be so transparent yeah. as universities doing investments that that you can't you don't that people can't peer into.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's just sketchy and What's also sketchy is the fact that, you know, there's vested interests involved in on the board of regents, like people that are sitting on the board of regents are also executives of, you know, investment firms like private investment firms. And so, you know, they have a profit incentive in the investments they make f- on behalf of the UC and the, these investments are only being the decisions are only being made by a few people. And so, you know, it's a very problematic situation for everybody that's involved, which is anyone that comes into or out of the system is affected by it. And especially, I mean, students that are lower middle income where they came into the UC with a certain tuition rate and then it's just raised on them while they're there. So you have the choice of either dropping out. Or you're basically forced to pay these fees or take out a loan. Obviously, well,
0: it sounds as though if, if investments don't go well, that they figure that well they they can always make it up with with fees, and and those fees are now
1: exactly to and my it,
0: mind kind of shocking. I mean, yeah, what what are you guys what what's the, what are students paying currently?
1: I think it's somewhere around four thousand dollars.
0: <laughs> and uh, you know what I paid when I was a student?
1: What was that? <laughs>
0: It was two ten, I think, it started. I think I think it moved it to two twelve. I think it might have been two eighteen. It was it was in the two hundreds. So three quarters would be six hundred dollars. And to go up to where it's now four thousand times three, twelve thousand dollars, mm-hmm. that that shocks me, frankly. I think it's gonna shock a lot of listeners who are alumni to realize, oh, things really have gone up.
1: It's kind of something that a lot of students have just taken at face value because you know, everybody knows that the state is in a budget crisis and it's like, oh, I guess this is the sacrifice we have to make or something. But then, I mean, if you do a little bit of research and read between the lines a little bit and see what's actually going on, then you see that, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on that aren't necessarily ethical, number one. And number two is just like, it's it's not something that's known. It's not something that's open and it's not something that, like, It's easy to find out for somebody that's just attending the university and like basically told the statement by the chancellor of like, oh, like this was going on. We have to do this. We don't have a choice. We have to make these cuts when in reality, you know, there's these investments that are going on, which are actually losing money for the university. I think the article said something like 20 percent loss, not there's no gain that's going on in these investments. We're going to have to get
0: is it Peter Byrne? Yeah, have to get Peter on the show to talk about this in more detail because it is there's a it is a complicated article And Mm -hmm. it went on in great in great detail, which I certainly yeah And I mean, it's only it's only
1: one of the many issues that are going on is this issue I think the most important thing is just for everybody that's involved At least everybody that's involved within the system, but also people outside of the system to to be aware of what's going on And inform themselves about the situation
0: well, we'll have to do that. Maybe next time when we actually pack up and go to the news you you can hopefully you'll be over there that day and we can we can track Peter down and you can provide the student perspective as someone who's in the trenches dealing with all this right now.
1: Yeah, I guess I can do that.
0: All right, Tara eski thanks we'll we'll have you back soon. All right, we got about six minutes left, I think, so let's uh let's do some miscellaneous items that are piling up. We talked in this program many months ago about the unbelievably stupid idea of pushing California's children into algebra in the 8th grade instead of the ninth grade, so they'll be that much more frustrated and confused earlier in their careers. Op-ed piece uh, several weeks back by Bill Evers and Zaev Werman in the special to the Bee, said that the proposed math standards are unteachable. Note to these two math experts, the proposed standards impose an experimental way of teaching similar and congruent triangles, a way that has never been successfully used in K 2 education in any state, province, or country in the world. They note that the proposed standards drop altogether the, the fundamental equals multiplied by equals are equal. The proposed standards drop from Algebra 1 the manipulation of rational expressions that is needed for typical real world work problems. I don't know. This correspondent is certainly not against algebra. God knows. <laughs> Having an understanding of how to manipulate uh, uh, equations is a pretty important thing, just that from what I've, I've seen to date, uh, it doesn't seem to have an emphasis on, emphasis on practical applications, and we're dealing with a nation where people can't even make change, and we want to teach them algebra. I must say, over the years, the, th- the comments I've made on this program, none have irritated people more, I think, than uh, <laughs> the ones such as those I've just made about uh, algebra being useless. Well, again, to clarify, I don't think it's useless. I just think the way it's being taught is useless. All right, I got about four minutes left. Uh, go back to Vanity Fair with the article with Marilyn Monroe and uh, with the issue with Marilyn Monroe on the cover. They uh, had one page on it which, were, which consisted of excerpts from a book titled Let's Bring Back, an encyclopedia of forgotten yet delightful, chic, useful, curious, and otherwise commendable things from times gone by by Leslie Bloom. It's going to be published uh, next month. And I thought of her interview with Gerald Nachman because one of the the otherwise commendable items was radio dramas. Said Vanity Fair, a picture may be worth a thousand words, but radio radio plays let the imagination run wild. Suggests we may want to bring back a Humphrey Bogart. Knowing that Bogart played characters who balanced machismo with tenderness and inner nobility. A formula so attractive that someone really should figure out how to bottle it. Suggested we may want to bring back the Stork Club. Founded as a speakeasy in the 1920s, the stork became the first and last word in elite supper clubbing. Everyone went there. Jack and Jackie, Marilyn and Joe, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, Hemingway and Hitchcock. Each little table sported a discreet telephone on which you could dial other tables. That's a charming feature if you have people like Bogart having dinner at the Stork Club. Bogart had a sign posted next to his doorbell in Beverly Hills that said, it better be important. And finally, George S. Kaufman's a guy they need to bring back. Wrote the magazine, one of the most brilliantly acerbic playwrights of the 20th century, Kaufman was perhaps most renowned for creating the charismatic and preposterously awful Sheridan Whiteside, the main character of the man who came to dinner and who was modeled after New York Times drama critic Alexander Wolcott, one of Kaufman's compatriots at the uh, Round Table at the Algonquin. By the way, Kaufman wrote some of the best lines in the Marx Brothers movies, too. All right, final item. We've gotten so behind on our obituaries, we may have to wait till the end of the year and just do a whole show on them. But we note with sadness the passing of America's favorite TV mom, Barbara Billingsley. She, of course, played June Cleaver, the quintessential 1950s sitcom mom on Leave It to Beaver. The show was created by Joe Conley and Bob Mosier, who who wrote the Amos and Andy TV program. Leave It to Beaver was the first TV series from a child's point of view. It ran on television from 1957 to 1963, featuring Hugh Beaumont as Ward Cleaver, Tony Dow as uh, the older brother Wally, and Jerry Mathers as Theodore Beaver Cleaver. June Cleaver was quite the TV mom. She's always going to be wearing high heels and pearls. Her hair was always done up, and she was baking cookies for the boys perennially. She once told TV Guide, Well, good grief, I think everybody like a family like that. Wouldn't it be nice if you came home from school and there was mom standing there with her little apron and cookies waiting? Oh, well, yes, Indeed. She was very solid on Leave it to Beaver, but my favorite Barbara Billingsley moment, and I think it may be yours, too, was the, the brief role she had in the comedy classic Airplane. We all recall the scenes where the two dudes that were speaking jive with subtitles <laughs> ran into some trouble, and one of them had a stomach ache, and, and Barbara Billingsley then comes over to help. Stewartis, I speak, John. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine. Mm-hmm. Just
1: hang lose blood. She gonna catch up and rebound on the next side. What it is, Big Mama? My mama, mama raised no dumbness. I duck a rap.
0: Come for some slack, Jack. It's a thing. It's a thing all right that about does it for time this program was produced by edward mcmillan you've been listening to radio parallax i'm your host douglas evert our thanks today to tara Eski, our good pal will durst and of course jerry mathers as the beaver we didn't quite manage to get david keen on today's program but we promise you for next week's show that'll be fun we'll see you then Thank <laughs> you.